Welcome to Notice History, the podcast where we uncover the history all around us. As always, we're your hosts, Robin Mullins, Nick Bridges, and Keely McCavitt. And welcome back, season two, baby. Season two! Woo! kick off season two of Notice History, our podcast is celebrating Black History Month with an incredibly exciting interview episode. Today we are thrilled to be joined by Deborah Dobbins, president of the Shiloh Center for Multicultural Roots in Edmonton, Alberta, and Dr. Jenna Bailey, a writer, historian, and documentary filmmaker who is currently an adjunct professor at the University of Lethbridge in Alberta. Both women were at the helm of the 2017 oral history documentary project entitled We Are the Roots, Black settlers and their experiences of discrimination on the Canadian prairies. The documentary explores the history of black immigrants who moved to small communities in rural Alberta and Saskatchewan between 1905 and 1912 from the United States. Bailey and the third member of the team, Dr. David Est, a professor of social work at the University of Calgary, conducted interviews with 19 descendants of these original black settlers and their various stories form the foundation of the film. Since its release, the film has been recognized for its outstanding contribution to Canadian history. It was the recipient of the 2018 Alberta Heritage Awareness Award, the Oral History Association's 2018 Elizabeth B. Mason Award, and the Oral History in Non-Print Format Award. Most recently, the documentary has also been awarded the 2018 Governor General's History Award for Excellence in Community Programming. We were privileged to be able to interview both Dr. Bailey as well as Deborah Dobbins just ahead of them receiving the Governor General's History Award. So without further ado, here's our interview. Thank you so much for both being on the podcast with us. Would you maybe be able to tell us just in a few sentences a bit about yourselves and maybe your work, um, maybe some of the current work that you're doing? My name is Deborah Dobbins. I'm third generation African-American Canadian Albertan. My parents came up in uh, Wildwood and my grandparents from the States in the early 1900s. I'm a teacher, I'm a mother, I'm a grandmother. I'm um, part of Shiloh Baptist Church, the oldest black church in uh, Western Canada. And I am also um, the uh, president of Shiloh Center for Multicultural Roots. And I'm Dr. Jenna Bailey. I am an oral historian and a writer and a documentary filmmaker. I'm currently an adjunct assistant professor in the Department of History at the University of Lethbridge and a senior research fellow at the Centre for Oral History and Tradition, also at the University of Lethbridge. And I do community oral history projects, and I also write in the field of British history. So I guess to open up our interview, how and when did the Shiloh Centre for Multicultural Roots begin? Well, we started in um, 2010. Shiloh Baptist Church was turning 100 years old, and um, it was very important that the community at large be aware of this um, monumental um, celebration. And so Shiloh Center for Multicultural Roots was actually formed in order to uh, facilitate a community-wide celebration. That was the first event for uh, Shiloh Center for Multicultural Roots. Nice to see how far it's come since since that beginning. It really has taken off. 
Um, yes, it has. Uh, I think it's because the interest of um, the people have something that they weren't aware of. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, it's an important thing for us to continue. Often um, the history that's kind of taught about Black people immigrating to Canada, um, the narrative that's often told is that people were seeking refuge from slavery and settling in places like Ontario, Nova Scotia more so. So why do you think the history of Black Canadians in the prairies and the stories from the documentary have been overlooked? Um, I would say that these stories have been overlooked mainly is two issues, is settlement patterns and population numbers. So prior to the 1970s, historical experiences of Black Canadians was a relatively neglected discipline. Since then, there's been um, a growing body of literature. But I think because the migration pattern in Alberta and Saskatchewan was much smaller in terms of numbers and also the years, it was a really small period that by the time this has started to be a scholarly field, um, the numbers of people living in Alberta and Saskatchewan um, sort of have been dispersed because the settlements don't really, I mean, they exist as settlements, but the populations are no longer living in those settlements. So there's sort of been less investigation um, as a result. Um, and also the people that came up from the United States into Western Canada were invited from the government to actually homestead and help develop Alberta and Saskatchewan. When we got to the border, we were not the people who the uh, government really wanted. So they discouraged us from coming. That limited the number of people coming into Alberta and Saskatchewan. Uh, they even put a stop on any immigration of any uh, Blacks coming from the United States. And um, uh, Jenna probably knows the date. But was, shortly after the arrival of, of, of our people in the early 1900s. Yeah, what Deborah's referring to is the order in council that was put forward in 1911 by the cabinet of Prime Minister Wilfrid Laurier. And this sort of stem, it was in order to ban black persons from entering Canada for a period of one year. And I'm going to quote this here. The Negro race is deemed unsuitable to the climate and requirements of Canada. That is what the Order in Council said. And this Order in Council, which was national, arose because of the outrage of the migration that was occurring in Alberta and Saskatchewan. So that really shut down that migration pattern. To finish off the, uh, the question, that's probably the reason why we have been overlooked so much is because there's very little early documentation except for the negative portions of the um, of, of our immigration here so um, we're just kind of say invisible but we're becoming more vi visible because of the uh, efforts of people getting our uh, history out and I, I'd like to add there are a few scholars that have researched this area but it's still underdeveloped and and should be uh, brought to greater light but we're not the only people that have uh, addressed this history so as you mentioned before, this general call um, for immigration to the prairies um, by the government that was made, it wasn't just black settlers that came, people from all over came to Canada. So what can you tell us about the relations between African Americans who migrated to Canada and other immigrants, both in rural and urban settings? 
From the stories of the individuals that we interviewed, it seems pretty clear that in the rural areas, immigrants from different backgrounds work together. And I think the circumstances, I mean, it's a, a greater known story in Alberta, at least the circumstances were extremely difficult. So I think people had to rally together and help each other. And there's, we heard lots of stories, particularly of farmers helping each other with equipment and clearing land. And there was a sense of community amongst people from different backgrounds. And I think that they were going through a similar experience. In terms of the urban setting, the stories that we heard were sort of the opposite, that the African-Americans that were moving to Edmonton were not particularly welcome. They weren't welcome to some, to the churches, to the businesses, and um, they were really excluded. Moving into more of your process for how you created the documentary, how did you find the descendants of the first black settlers in the West? Was there just that existing connection through the Shiloh church that you were able to pull from? Or were many descendants still living close to their ancestors' former communities? As a third generation African-American Canadian Albertan, I, I have firsthand knowledge of the majority of the um, people that came up from the United States in the early 1900s and living in those five main um, areas. So I personally knew all of the families and was able to then reach out to make sure that we got representation from each of the different families and, and settlements uh, in our um, interviews. Was it, was it easy to make sure that you had representation from each of the families or, or were any of them more reluctant? Um, a lot of, depending on the settlement, um, and depending on my relationship to them, to the people, uh, some were more reluctant to actually share their story because it was um, a lot of hardship and uh, prejudice encounters and they didn't really want to talk about that. They wanted to just be proud that they are Canadian and living here and here and now. So it was difficult at times in a couple of places for Breton, the settlement in Breton, I reached out to the um, to the Hooks family and um, the Hope family and a few other families, and we weren't able to get anyone that was accessible to be able to come to Edmonton to um, actually um, represent that community. And then illnesses and age played a big factor also in the availability of some of the first descendants and immigrants uh, to be able to get them to tell their story. So when you were setting up the interviews, what was your process for organizing the people and thinking about the kinds of questions you would ask? So it was my job to get the get the people and find out a bit of information, background information that would help um, Dr. Jenna Bigley and uh, Dr. David S. Uh, go ahead and do the next process. So I recruited the people and then um, Jenna will let you know how how we uh, continued that process. The So Deborah recruited the interviewees and um, doc, it was Dr. David Est and I who did the interviews and uh, David Est is in the Faculty of Social Work at the University of Calgary. And together prior to the interviews we um, produced an interview guide with the questions and we had that process through the University of Lethbridge. We had an ethics review to do research with human subjects 
So there was quite a lengthy process there. And we also, the project had an advisory committee. And so we ran the questions through the advisory committee. So it's quite a collaboration um, in terms of developing the questions. And then Dave and I split the interviews up. We each did half. We did it over two different weekends at the Shiloh Baptist Church. And we had a film crew that filmed the interviews. And uh, Dave and I worked really closely doing the interviews and we sort of adapted the interview questions as we went along because one of the things we realized was how important music was and that hadn't been an initial thing that we had talked about on the interview guide. And also the role of the church was coming up more and more so we added questions about that. And we also realized it was a great opportunity to learn about black women's experiences in the labor market. And so we added more questions about that. So the interview process sort of evolved as we went along, particularly since we had uh, time between the two different weekends of interviews. The other thing that sort of evolved was the first set of interviews were mainly with the older generation and the second set were with uh, younger individuals. And so that changed things a little bit because we found that the older generation was a little more hesitant to talk about discrimination and the younger interviewees were less hesitant. So that was another thing that evolved. In uh, the making of this documentary, um, you've mentioned that it took you a long time to actually get everyone sat down for the interviews. What sort of came first, the research into the church records themselves and the different communities or the interviews? Did you take the interviews, then go and do the research or vice versa? Or did everything happen simultaneously? It was sort of an ongoing process. At, at the beginning, the first couple of months were project planning and research. Uh, so Deborah had access to resources, uh, you know, personal resources that other people wouldn't have had. And so she shared that books with us that her aunts had written and things like that. And so Dave and I read sort of the academic literature and then some of the more personal literature. And we also had a, a research student from the University of Alberta helping us compile information. So there was a lot of background research that we needed, Dave and I, to get the history. Even Deborah was fully immersed in the history already and she shared things with us. And she also helped write bios of the interviewees. So we were pretty informed when we went into the interviews. And then with most research projects, the research is sort of ongoing as you discover new things and names come up and questions come up through the interviews. So when the documentary part was being made, there was sort of a second phase, a heavy phase of research that took place in mostly the city of Edmonton archive because they have a really rich archive of documents that um, to my knowledge, hasn't been shared that widely. And so we use those documents to help build the history into the documentary. And the whole process took um, 18 months from the beginning of the um, human rights uh, funded project until um, we were able to finish it up in uh, March of 2018. And, but prior to that, even, we did a lot of um, communicating amongst the three of us before we actually uh, implemented the, the project. So, um, I mean, obviously, you, you just mentioned that the interviews took place at the Shallow Church and um, also, Deborah, that you attend. And that's also, you know, part of the beginning of the entire story. So 
is there anything more ab about the church itself, um, maybe about its status now or the congregation? Were you able to use any of their church records for the process of putting everything together? The um, existing records and things, we were able to go back to 1924 for some of the, um, uh, the photographs, church photographs and, and, and church um, records of the people there. So we were able to incorporate some of that into the documentary. And just the fact that the interviews were at the first black church, first noted black church in Alberta. I think that's a lot of significance. So Charlotte Baptist Church has been around since 1910. We didn't call ourselves a black church. The church was for everyone, regardless of who you were. So as the years continued, the church became more, I don't want to use the word integrated, but more multifaced. And uh, now it's at the point where it is uh, people from almost every culture or background attend Shiloh. Uh, the attendance goes up and down depending on the, the, the season. Our, our pastor is from originally from Dubai and our, our second pastor uh, of family life, he's from St. Kitts. So African descent and um, also other other diaspora are are in the in the church and it's not so much a black church like it how it started but it's a combination of of all cultures we do the music that we do do I, I happen to be the choir director and have been for several years we still focus on the roots of Shiloh Baptist Church and it's the black African American music is the is the um, the stronghold but um, it's still a Shiloh Baptist Church, and it's still for everyone. So from the beginning, was the project always intended to be a documentary project, or did it start as an interview project that kind of morphed into a documentary? Initially, we had, hadn't used the word documentary and hadn't really thought of doing a documentary. Uh, part of our deliverables for our grant was an edited DVD, but that's very broad. And I don't honestly think any of us had thought through what that would look like when we first started. We wanted to do the interviews and go from there. And so we did the interviews and it was really clear that it had the makings for a great documentary. And so we just dove in and decided to do that. Um, and I think we're we're all very glad because it's made the material really accessible and really shareable. And I think it's in a way that, um, yeah, it can just reach a lot of people and um, the people can get to know the interviewees really intimately through that format. Absolutely. Yeah. So when you went through the end of that process, that 18 months, did you really have any sense or, or anticipation of the reach and recognition that, that We Are The Roots has received? For me, no. I was just hoping that um, we would then have a tool to continue our research and continue creating a educational kit for the youth of today so they can learn about this important history and, and foundation of all the Blacks who have since immigrated to Alberta. That was my hope. But with all of these awards and um, people uh, interested in um, showing the DVD at their um, in their organizations or 
or wherever. So it's like amazing for me. I also didn't expect this project to sort of uh, have as broad a reach as it has. And I'm, I think Dave and Deborah and I are all really thrilled and pleased. Um, and I, I remember when we were deciding the title for the documentary, it said about experiences on the prairies and Deborah said, make sure you put Canadian prairies. So when people from other places are watching it, they know where it comes from. And I thought, well, that's ambitious. <laughs> I didn't think that people outside of Canada would be watching it. But I'm very glad I accommodated that that idea because she was right. And, you know, we've been really lucky. We won two awards from the Oral History Association, which is based in the United States. So international awards and then the Governor General's Award, which is a obviously a significant national award. And then an Alberta Heritage Award as well. So it's been really nice to be recognized in these different platforms. And also the, the documentary is online and every day people are watching it. I, I monitor the stats and every day it's viewed <laughs> since we've kind of put it up, which is remarkable and, and very exciting for us. So it's been really rewarding just to know that this history is being shared so widely. What sorts of responses have you had from ordinary viewers, whether they're Canadian or American or from the international community? Just um, just from the individuals from the community, they are amazed that we exist or did exist, our people, and that how we contributed to society and how we were treated, even though we were just Canadian, Albertans, Saskatchewanites, we were just the same as everybody else. Um, they were really wanting us to pursue getting this into the educational system because um, everybody needs to know about our history. I was just going to say there's been a really nice response from the academic community as well, which has been a surprise. Um, but there's been lots of people that want to use it in the university as a teaching tool and I know that for Deborah, especially, that was a big push that we use this for education. And so I think we're really pleased about that, that there's been this response and recognition that this could be used as a scholarly source. And to move a bit closer to the project itself, um, what kind of reactions did the families of the people who spoke in the documentary had? Were there any relatives that were surprised of their own history? Younger um, kids that... Um actually were had to watch it because their parents or grandparents were in it <laughs> they were um really impressed that we do have a history a rich history and they as uh, some of them want to know more about it you know they say why didn't you tell us you know they they said to their parents or, or aunts and uncles why didn't you tell us about this so i'm hoping that that this will uh, uh start a movement for the younger people to look back on their history and find out about it not just our black not just the blacks but other other um, cultures too hopefully it'll start a, a more of a dialogue and create more of a legacy yeah and with them um, with legacy in mind um do you have any future projects planned or will the, maybe will the interviews with the 19 descendants be made available in full, like in their complete um, individual interviews in the future? Um, we hope to do a, um, a second 
set projects similar to this one, only um, interviewing the fourth through sixth generation descendants to um, to bring up that documentary and the research up to today's, to the 21st century, because um, racism, discrimination, marginalization has not gone away. And it seems it's even getting a little more uh, overt, I guess you could say, or it's becoming more, not popular, but people are speaking up more about the subject and also displaying more of it. So it's important that um, we we get our, our, our the history and also today's uh, viewpoint of it, because then that would just kind of finish off that that educational tool and hopefully uh, create more uh, understanding and more equity and equality and all of that uh, in the years to come. And with regard to the interviews, there will be made available in full transcripts and the video recordings. They're being donated to the Provincial Archives of Alberta. We already have an agreement set up with them. So once we've wrapped everything up, they'll be available there for research and access to non for nonprofits. That's a fantastic resource, not only for the academic community, but the community in Edmonton more generally. Yeah, I think that's one of the strengths of this project is that it's been quite multifaceted. The documentary, because it's accessible and it's online, has sort of gotten the most attention, but we have produced quite a rich archive of never seen before photos, rarely viewed documents, and then lengthy. I mean, the interviews were about one to two hours with each individual. So there's so much material that doesn't get shown in the documentary that will be a wonderful resource for, I mean, forever really, for researchers and people that want to learn about their family history and Alberta history. So it's quite, you know, a wide ranging archive that we'll be donating when we do. Wonderful that there's such a rich resource that will be made available there. Yeah, there's a few interviewees who I would say their interview alone is can stand alone for a learning resource. They're, remarkable people that live through you know a century of change um, so some of them i know will be widely accessed once they're donated yeah there are really so many striking quotes that came out of the documentary i noticed that one of the interviewees said that canada in many ways has hidden or ignored its history of prejudice uh, obviously we know this is true for the treatment of first nations people uh, Japanese Canadians in the 1940s, as well as early Black settlers. And do you think that documentaries like We Are the Roots help acknowledge that history? Or do you think there needs to be a larger effort towards the acknowledgement of the history of discrimination in this country? Well, I know that it does acknowledge our the history, and there still continues to need a better effort stronger effort on not just on behalf of individual people or small organizations but also at the other end the government needs to um, take a part in this as a lead in order to um, acknowledge this discrimination but not just acknowledge it but do something toward the reduction and hopefully elimination of discrimination amongst all of all of the people that you just mentioned first nation japanese canadians and 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 also the the black settlers and there are others that we 
uh, haven't um, actually talked about. And I, I think I, I should add that we've we've had public screenings of the documentary followed by Q and A's, and it's been interesting the discussion that's followed the film, where some people have questioned, saying yes, but this is this was in the past. This is not ongoing discrimination. Um, so it's clear that there's still quite a need for education, and uh, this really is a drop in the bucket. This is one way to you know help share this history and educate people about discrimination but there obviously needs to be much more um to as deborah said eliminate discrimination and um well hopefully eliminate forever but at least make change and this is one way that we've sort of hopefully started some discussions Thoughts on, on our conversation that we were able to have with um, Dr. Bailey and Deborah? I thought it was a really great conversation, and the documentary itself is really impactful. Um, one thing that I noticed when I had kind of told some people that we were going to be talking about this project and kind of describing what it was, I was kind of met with the same sort of weird feeling that I had when I first read about it, where you're like, oh, of course those people lived there. Of course there was immigration into Canada by people who weren't of specifically just like European descent, but it seems like there's such a lack in the archive as it stands now, um, to use kind of like that overarching phrase, the archive, that these stories are unfamiliar, but they're incredibly important. And I think that's part of the reason why this project is so amazing, because it fills that hole and it challenges those kind of expectations and stereotypes about history and about the narrative of the West. And that's, I think it's great. And I think that's part of why it's getting the recognition that it's getting as well, right? It's it's very well deserved, but it's certainly, it's this acknowledgement within us that there is the story that when you hear it, yes, it sounds like obviously that needed to be done, but who was going to do it? And we're just so thankful to uh, to Deborah Dobbins and to Dr. Jenna Bailey and to the entire team and everyone involved for spending time on this very important project because it is so impactful and so important in preserving history and in preserving um, culture and, and stories and all of these different elements of this community that otherwise would have been lost potentially. I think one of the strongest aspects of this project is that it's more than just a documentary film. All of these interviews are going to be donated to the archives, and they'll be available for future researchers. So this is more than just a film. It's a community project, and it's really ongoing. We highly recommend to any of you to check out We Are the Roots. Uh, you can see it online. It's at baileyandsoda.com. And as well, on that note, they are still having viewings. So um, please check out our show notes because we will have links to their event page and to their various um, showings that are still coming up in the month of February. And they're always having new showings coming available in different towns. So if that's something that you're interested in, you can also contact them and see if you can have a showing in your town. So we will also have the contact information available in our show notes. Notice History is a No History podcast. We are produced by Emily Cuggy and myself, Robin Mullins. This week's researchers were Dehai Daniel, Leanne Guddy, Kirsten Stewart, and Anna Kuntz. And the, the audio mixing was done by Emily Cuggy. For more information about the topic that we covered, please check out our blog at nohistory.ca slash podcast. If you'd like to get in touch with us by email, you can always contact us at podcast at nohistory.ca 
or on social media at Notice History. If you like what you hear, tell your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.